Is there some dust in the air? Hey, happy Mother's Day to you moms out there. We're so excited you are here. I hope that when you got up this morning, you had some breakfast in bed, even if it was an old ripe banana. Uh, hope that maybe you didn't have to do a lot of the things you normally do. Maybe somebody dropped you off and actually walked you in under an umbrella because I think it's raining out there. And because we know you need a special day because you do all the work. Aren't that, am I right? You do all the work. And so, yeah, we are grateful for you. I know at my house, my wife does all the work, and my mom did a lot of work. And so uh, one of the reasons why you do all the work is because you want your kids to be okay. You want your kids to turn out okay, so you do a lot of work. And so because you want them to do okay, one of the things that you think is going to make them okay is you do a lot of planning for them. Like you plan a lot. You plan out their lives, honestly. Now, some of us may call it control, but you call it planning, and that's good for today. You're the room mom, you're the team mom. Every time there's an event, it's at your house, and it's not because you like having people over so you can keep your eye on them. You police their friends, and you, you map out their future, and you get them in the right kindergarten with the right teacher. And then when they get moving into high school, you know, you, you've got them on the right career track, taking the right classes because you already have the university picked out for them where they're going to go. And you've already, and then when they apply to go to college, when they forget to fill out their housing form, you send in their deposit because you don't want them staying at home. And so, you fill out their FAFSA, you, you, you know what job they should take, maybe even who they should marry or who they should not marry so they can give you grandkids so you can do it all over again, right? You do a lot of work and you think that planning is going to make your kids okay. But what I want to tell you today is planning is not the number one tool in your arsenal. It's not the number one thing that you can do for your kids to have this productive future. It's not the way you pave the way for them to be productive adults in society. Planning is not the number one thing that you can do. The number one thing you can do is to learn to pray for your children. It's to learn to pray for your children. Now, now here's the reality. Prayer has fallen out of fashion recently. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Our thoughts and prayers are with you. They are not the same things. Have you ever heard somebody say this, just living on a prayer, meaning I'm not doing anything. I'm just hoping for the best. And we don't understand the power that actually comes through prayer. We don't understand that actually it can change things. It actually can have impact. It actually can have effect in our lives, that we have to learn what it means to pray. Now, we're in this series, been going through this series called Equip. You can see the logo on your screen. And we've just been a church where we wanted to really make following Jesus practical, we wanted to see the power of God in our lives on a daily basis, not just be something we do weekly, but how we learn to have impact and influence in this world and in the next generation through just practical living. And one of the things that we're talking about today is how, what does it mean to have a life where we pray and it actually, it actually means something. It's not just throwing a wish like throwing a penny into a fountain. Now, two quick stories about two moms that prayed that had some supernatural influence. There is this one guy named John Wesley. Anybody heard of John Wesley? Okay, so a lot of, some of you, you grew up Methodist, and so you're recovering. I get it. And so John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, right? John Wesley, back in the 1700s, preached to crowds of 20,000 people. Like, that's a lot of people, even by today's standards. John Wesley had a brother named Charles. Charles wrote over 9,000 hymns. These two brothers changed the landscape for Christianity in the, in the 1700s. And it was all built upon the prayers of their mother, Susanna. Susanna had 10 children. Everybody go, oh, 10 children. 
and, and her husband was gone for long periods of time at, due to his job. And she would pray for her children. She would pray for her husband. There were times when she couldn't find a quiet place to play place to pray. So what she would do is she would go in the corner of her kitchen, she would take her apron, and she would put it up over her head for up to two hours at a time while all her kids were playing. And they knew, do not mess with mom. She's praying right now. And those prayers led to this influence. It paved the way for these two boys to leave an impact that all of us have, have been a part of. There's this other, uh, this, uh, this other founding father of our country named George Washington. Who all has heard of George Washington? If you haven't, your mom did not map out the right uh, curriculum path for you. <laughs> George Washington, first president of the United States, as you know, George Washington, a great military leader known for his valor, known for his courage, known for his sacrifice, obviously was tapped to lead the military during the Revolutionary War and led his men into battle. Um, George Washington, a man of courage, and George Washington grew up in a home when his mom's name was Mary. And, mom, and his father died when he was 10 years old. So he, she was a single mom. And so she would go outside their house and she would pray. And there was a rock outside their home where she would go and she would pray every day. And you can only imagine the voice of those prayers up to God's ears from a single mom, can't you? Can you imagine what she prayed for her son and those, the power that it had? Well, when he was on the battlefield, he would write her notes about what was happening. There was this one time when bullets shot through his coat but missed him, and he was kept safe. There was a time more than once when his horse was shot out from underneath him, yet he remained safe. Now, I'm sure she did not like getting those letters. However, they were all testimonies to the, to the miracles that God provided in his life through the prayers of his mom. And George Washington said this about his mom. Everything that I am, all that I am, I owe to my mother. Wouldn't you... Wouldn't you love to know how to pray like that? Wouldn't you love to know that your prayers were paving the way for a future? Maybe for your kids, but maybe for you, maybe for somebody else, maybe for a friend, maybe for another family member, maybe for a spouse. Wouldn't you love to know that when you prayed, it actually was having impact more than just on a wing and a prayer? Now, the truth is we all pray. We all pray. You know, you, you wake up one morning, you're going to work, you have a meeting, and you're running late. You pray, God, please help me to get there on time. You go to the Avalon, you got to run in to pick up a gift, you're God, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we pray some small prayers. You're driving down Birmingham Highway and you look in your rearview mirror, there's some blue lights, and you're praying, God, please don't let them be after me. Was I speeding? Like, we, we throw up some, some small prayers, but when we say that we, we, have this, we have this life where we know that when we pray, God may do something big. Like, is there this potential in prayer that actually can pave the way into our future? What if the most efficient and productive use of your time and my time is to learn what it means to pray on, on a daily basis and to invite God into our lives, to invite the God of the universe to, exp to express power into our lives, into the lives of our families, into the lives of our children? Like, what would it look like for you to just sow seeds of prayer for a generation and to see what would happen so we're going to take a look at that today, and we're going to look in the Bibles, in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 6. How many of you have heard of the Lord's Prayer? Good, because we're not looking at that today. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at some words right before. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 if you have a Bible. Um, we'd love for you to grab a paperback. You can also go to, your, to an app. Maybe you have another uh, app, a Bible app. We'd love for you to go there. Matthew chapter 6. There's some words that Jesus uses to introduce the Lord's Prayer that we want to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 5. And he starts out with this. 
Jesus, and some of you have red letters in your Bible, that means that Jesus physically spoke these words. It says, and when you pray, all right, let's, let's stop right there for just a second. It says, when you pray. So there's this assumption from Jesus that people who follow him will pray. Like it's a given. It's not optional. It's not even a choice. It's integral. It's required. It's, it's unavoidable. If we follow Jesus, we're going to pray. We can't follow God and not pray. We can't follow him and not have him involved in our life. It is required. Martin Luther, who was the founder of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So let's try this for a second. I'm going to count to three. Let's hold our breath and see how long we can do it. Jokes. I'm just kidding. Without breathing. Like there are some things that are just a foregone conclusion. And one of those is prayer. One of those is prayer. It's a little like this. I had a, when I was, when I graduated from college, one of my first jobs was I was a computer programmer for the Army Corps of Engineers. True story. And so I can remember we hired a a college senior to come in for her internship in our division. And so when she came in, we were doing some programming on some certain projects. So I was talking to her about maybe what, what, you know, some of her history, some of her training, what her experience was. So I said, hey, tell me a little bit about what languages you use to program the computer. And so she would tell me that. And I said, tell me what computers you guys use at your university. She says, oh, we don't have computers. I'm like, this feels a little odd. Like you have, you don't like explain that to me. How do you get graded? Because you're programming a computer without a computer. Help me understand. And so she said, well, we just write out the program and we turn it into our professor and she reads it and tells us if it's right or not. Now, that seems a little bit odd if, you would be, if we'd be honest and just say that. That seems like that couldn't happen. But this is the same thing. Oh, I follow Jesus. Well, tell me about your prayer life. Oh, I don't pray. Like there's this disconnect in there. It is required for us to pray. And what a great privilege that we have. And it is so easy. The thing about it is you don't need special training. Like, how amazing is that? You don't have to have special shoes or special clothes. You can wake up in the morning. You don't even have to brush your teeth. You can wake up and pray. Like, most people think that the pastor has the red bat phone up to God, that we just go in our office and pick it up. And like, hey, can you handle this one today for us? We do not. It's blue. This is for the average person, right? That we have this access to this power. Like, why wouldn't we do that? If we have access, that it can change our life, it can pave the way into our future, why don't we pray more? Is it because of our schedule? We don't have time. That's not it. Is it because of our, is it because we don't think we know the language? That's not it. The reason we don't pray is because we don't believe there's anything better out there that God can give us. Listen, we don't pray because we don't believe there's anything better out there that God can give us. We can do it ourselves. Now, now the word for pray literally means to switch. It means to exchange. It means to exchange one thing for another, and it's always an upgrade. So, so let's say you go to your phone carrier store, and you have an iPhone 5 or 6, and it's old, and it's slow, and you can't do anything. So you go, and you exchange it. You're not going to exchange it for a 4. You're going to go to a 10. You're going to upgrade. Every time we pray, we exchange something with God, and it's always, always an upgrade. So when I bring my thoughts to God, I bring my heart to God, he gives me his heart for that situation. 
So when I ask God for something, he gives me what it is that he truly wants me to have in that. Now, this can be a little difficult because sometimes we don't see the answer like we want to see it. And we don't know what's behind the scenes. We don't know what we're missing. We don't know what information we don't have. We don't have the long term of how in the end it's actually going to end up being good for us. But let's say you're, let's say you're here today and you want to be a mom, but you can't be. And you go to God and you pray to God and you tell him, God, I want to have a child. And you haven't given me a child. It's breaking my heart. I want to have a child. What God will do in the midst of that is potentially give you a child, but he also may do something else inside of you that will help remove your pain from that and help you to understand his heartbeat for you in the midst of that. It may be that you have a certain job that you want. You're like, I want this job. i got to have this job. And you're focused on this job. And God may give you that job, but he may not because it may not be the best thing for you to grow you. Listen, God wants to give you what is good. He wants to exchange his heart. He wants you to think like he thinks. He wants you to desire the things that he desires. He wants you to have the wisdom that he has. He wants you to see people the way he sees people. He wants to see him. He wants you to see him the way we should see him as our, prior, as our priority. God wants to, you to exchange your heart for his heart. That's what prayer is. See, prayer is the actual work of a Christian. It's the work of the ministry. You know, sometimes we think, well, the work of the ministry is um, we got to have, have a worship service on Sunday. And that, this is part of it, but this is, not, this is not it. You may think that the work of the ministry is to tell other people, about Jesus, and certainly that's important and a priority, but it's not the primary work of the ministry. We may think the primary work of the ministry is to help support charities and to feed the poor. That is not the primary work of the ministry. The primary work of the ministry is prayer. If you're a parent here and you have children, the primary thing you do for them is to pray for them. A lot of their problems you cannot solve. A lot of their problems you should not solve, but you should pray for them. Pray for them to learn. Pray for them to grow. Pray for them to love Jesus. You should pray for them every day. If you're here today and you're married, your primary role should be to pray for your spouse. Pray for them. Don't don't make them a prayer request. Pray for them. Pray that God would bring you closer together. If you're in a difficult time, pray that God would change your heart and their heart so that your marriage could be life-giving and long-lasting. At work, before you go in, you should be praying for the people who you work with. In your neighborhood, you should pray for the homes that you pass on your way in. Prayer is the primary work of the ministry. This is what Jesus is saying when you pray. Jesus started every day out with prayer, every day. It's part of how he got more accomplished. Martin Luther, again, the same person that I used just a minute ago. Martin Luther said this. He said that, I have so much work to do today, I must pray for three hours. He looked at it as being that integral to, what, to, to his life. Jesus would start every morning praying. Why would he do that? He knew he was going to face challenges. He knew he was going to face problems. He knew he was going to need to give wisdom and train his disciples. He knew, so he would spend every morning praying That's the first thing that he did. Now, I know a lot of you are like, I'm a night person, Stephen. Do I have to pray in the morning? Only if you want God to be involved for the rest of your day. That's all. And I used to kind of give in a little bit on that. And you should pray at night, but you should also pray in the morning. So you get God involved in your day, and it trains your mind, and it sets your priorities. Right? Pray the way Jesus did in the morning. So uh, with that said, we also have... Um, he, he, we keep on going when you pray. Then he goes on this. You must not be like the hypocrites. I love it when Jesus calls people names, don't you? Like, this is always so fun. Um, he's, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites because the people he's talking to were standing there and they knew who they were. 
So he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, hypocrite literally means to put a mask on. Okay? It's, it comes from Greek drama. That when you, you would have an actor who would play multiple role, roles in a play, and so they would put on different masks for the different characters. So it's someone who's pretending to be something that they're not, right? And we all know who hypocrites are. You know who they are? You. <laughs> Let's all raise our hand. We're all hypocrites on a certain level. But what he means by that is like you're really faking it so that other people will see you differently. Don't do that. Here's what happens. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues. The people who stood and prayed in the synagogues Religious professionals, the Pharisees, he, he knew. They were the only ones allowed to, so they knew he was talking to them. It says they pray at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Like there's their motivation, to be seen by other people. So they pretend to be talking to God, but when in reality they're talking to people around them so the other people would see them. And he goes on to say, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's a different way of seeing the world. And what, what Jesus is saying is this is where we fix our eyes. Hypocrites have fixed their eyes on other people so they'll get what other people can give them. We are to fix our eyes on our heavenly father so we can get what he wants us to have. Like what are we looking at? You know that wherever you look and whatever you think, that's where you go. So, so if you've ever taught someone to drive a car, you know that when you tell them don't Hit that pothole. You see that pothole? Don't hit that pothole. Guess what they're focused on? The pothole. Guess what they hit? The pothole. Like some of you golfers in there know this really well. So you get up to number five. There's a water hazard off to the right. What are you thinking? Don't hit it in the water. What do you do? Hit it in the water. Because your mind tends to go. You ever notice how when you listen to a song over and over, you may get out of the car and later in the day you hear that song in your head? It's where you've been focused. It's where your attention has been fixed. So here's what, what Jesus is saying. Fix your eyes, fix your attention, fix your heart on your heavenly Father. Now, he practices physically. When Jesus would pray, there's a couple of examples of this. Jesus would pray, for instance... Uh, there was a time he had this big crowd of people, like 15,000, and there was no food. And his disciples were like, hey, send them away to get something to eat. He's like, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat. They're like, hey, all we have are these loaves and fishes. Like, all we have is a small amount of food. So it says that Jesus looked up, gave thanks, and started handing out the food. Fed 15,000 people with 12 baskets left over. And what he was doing in that moment was he was orienting his life to the truest thing about the world. He was orienting his life to the truest thing about himself, but also about God. So when we pray and we fix our eyes and our attention on God, what we're doing, first of all, is reminding ourselves and orienting ourselves as to who we are. You know, that's what the song that Leslie just sang, by the way, she crushed that, didn't she? That song that she just sang, tells us is I've got to fight for my identity. There's a little card that has, the, has the, some lyrics from the song that are also out on the photo wall out there. You say I'm loved. You say I'm strong. When I don't belong, you say I'm yours. And we live in a world that will tell us differently. People are not beating down your door to tell you how great you are. Have you ever noticed that you are not, you're not beating down your door to tell you how great you are? 
When you have thoughts about yourself, the mistakes that you made, the regrets that you made. Moms, right now, you feel a lot of regret probably. Mistakes that you've made. Times you got angry or didn't. Times you didn't know something, how to take care of your child. Times something didn't go well and you blame yourself. So we all have these voices in our mind that tell us negative things. And we believe the worst about us. And it's so easy. Why is that? We can imagine the worst about ourselves. And what prayer does is it orients up me to who God says I am. And it helps me to imagine the best of who God's created me to be. So every morning when I wake up, one of the things when I pray, I'm like, okay, God, help me remember. Thank you that I'm adopted as a son. Thank you that I'm a friend. Thank you that you want to use me to help influence people's lives. Thank you that you bless me. Thank you that my name is written in your book. Thank you that I'm going to have a future. Thank you that I can have hope. Thank you that you want to give me wisdom. I just remind myself of who I am, and that's what you need to do. Remind yourself of who you are. That's the first thing. The second thing that we do around this idea of truth is we remind ourselves of who we are, but we remind ourselves of who God is. See, one of the things that we see here is he uses this term, Father. Now, Jesus was really radical in the way that he prayed because he introduced a new way of praying that was more about relationship than it was about religion. So when he uses this word, Father, he is using it to say that it changes God from being a blank screen from an idea to an individual, right? It changes God from being an idea, something that's just out there, some force that's out in the cosmos somewhere, that it's just religion. He changes it, he changes it to be that God is an individual. He is a person. And you may have heard this idea, and especially if you're just exploring Christianity today, that we talk about this difference between religion and relationship. And prayer bridges the gap. How Jesus prayed bridges the gap. So every religion believes in prayer. Every religion believes in prayer. And so, for instance, Muslims, they believe that you pray because God told you to pray. <laughs> you know, that you just pray because God told you to pray. Now, now, now parents in here, if you have, or maybe, hey, maybe all of us remember, did your mom or dad ever say to you, you ask them why, and they say, because I said so? Yeah. Remember that? Like, that may work once or twice, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if it's every time, if that's the only reason you give, and there's no concept of, hey, you love me. Hey, you actually may know what you're talking about. I think you've been right once or twice. If you have no concept, that becomes a very rigid way of working, a very religious way of working. I just do it because it may make me make God love me, and that's called religion. The things that I can do, the works that I can create, the way I can earn favor with God, that's religion. Jesus says, no. Talk to him as your father. It's a relationship. It's not just an idea. He's an individual. Hindus pray for self-realization. That if I will just meditate, I'll become more of who I should be. And then eventually I will reach whatever that state is that's perfection. And Jesus says, no, you need to orient yourself around the truth. That you have a father and he wants to give you good things. Like everything that you love comes from God. Everything you love comes from God. Like think about the things that you love in life. Think about the food that you love right now. Maybe it's a, maybe you like a good hamburger, enchilada, taco, chocolate donut, anybody? Cheesecake, steak, everything you love from the little to the big. Think about some of the geography that you love. You may like to go to the mountains or to the beach. God created that. This is directly from God. 
and he has good things for you. So many times people will pray, and they'll say something like this, and maybe you've done it. They'll say, God, this is what I want. I want this. Whatever the desire is, I want this, if it's your will. As if we have to give God an out in case it doesn't work out. Hey, just real quick, if it's not his will, it ain't happening, okay? It might as well be a thought, right? I mean, so sometimes we just need to be bold and just to ask God because he wants to give us good things. And so when we pray, we fix our eyes on God. It reminds us of who we are, but it reminds us of who he is, a God who wants to give good things to his children. This is who God is, and this is why we pray. So Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like, don't be like the hypocrites. Pray to your Father. You know, we may say that prayer doesn't matter. I've never seen an answer. Maybe we just don't understand exactly what's supposed to happen in prayer. What I love about this passage is that when we pray, it says that we get a reward. We get a reward. He goes on again. He keeps on talking about it. He says the hypocrites, they love to pray. They have their reward to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you reward you. There's an outcome for that. There's a payoff for prayer. Like we love rewards. We're, we're motivated by rewards. We'll do something that we no, wouldn't normally do for free if there's a reward. Like how much are you going to give me for that? So we like to reward kids, don't we? Hey, if, you're, if you make an A, I'll give you, I'll give you $10. Now some guy in the first service said it was, his price was up to 150 I said, can I enroll in school? Like, I don't know. But we'll reward. We like to get a bonus at work. If something good happens, if we perform, what happens? We get bonus at work. We get a reward. So what what Jesus is saying is he's implying there's a reward. There's an outcome. There's a payoff for prayer. Like, what exactly is that? I think, you know, the first thing that we see is the payoff is the specific outcome that we're looking for. We pray for something specific to happen. We pray to specifically get something, and it actually happens, or we actually get it, something very specific. In James chapter 4, James writes this. He says, you don't have because you do not ask. You don't ask. And here's what can happen is you might ask once or twice, but then you kind of get tired or you forget about it because it wasn't that important anyway, or you're like, see, told you it didn't work, you give up, and you don't have because you don't ask. And as we look in the Bible, as people pray, things happen. Lives changed. Futures were impacted. You look at Moses. Moses comes to pray, and he's leading three million complaining Hebrews out of Egypt, and the Egyptian army's bearing down on them. They have the Red Sea in front, and he's standing there. He's got no options. What does he do? He prays, and what does God do? parts of the Red Sea. Nobody saw that coming. Like, didn't have a category for that. Thought disaster was imminent, but he prayed and something happened. There's this cat named Daniel. Daniel was uh, a man of great faith. And because of his great faith, he was thrown in, in the lion's den to be executed. So they throw him in one night. They come back the next morning. He's just sitting there eating breakfast. Like, how'd that happen? The lions, why didn't they eat you? He just prayed. He just asked God to close those mouths of hungry lions. There's this guy named Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. He gets thrown in prison. So a group of people get in a home, and they pray for him all night. Peter gets released from prison, shows up at their door, knocks on the door. They don't even believe it's him. 
A girl answers the door, sees him, screams, ah, runs back and says, Peter's at the door. They're like, whatevs, like let him in. And that's what happens with us. Man, God wants to do things specifically in our lives. Sometimes we don't believe God's going to do it and we don't see it. And sometimes we give up too soon. And I believe that God wants to answer specific prayers. Like, what is it that you want you haven't prayed for? When Jesus met people and they may have a need, he would always ask them, what do you want? Like, what do you want? And sometimes we get a specific answer to the thing that we want, big or small. Now, I understand there are some things that you've prayed for you haven't gotten specifically. Like you, you prayed for that job or you prayed for that marriage or you prayed for that child or you prayed for that health cure. You prayed for something and you didn't get it. And that's, you're like, well, where, where's my reward? What I would say is God is in the business of answering that in the way that he knows is going to be best for us and it's going to pave the way for our future. You see, the next thing that we get when we pray, the next type of reward that we get is peace. We get peace. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul wrote this. Paul's the guy that wrote this. He says, and the peace of God, this is when you pray, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the word for guard there literally gives the image of a Roman sentry with his shield and his spear and a sword at his side and a helmet on his head, guarding your peace. That when we pray, God's peace has a way of soaking into our hearts. Anxiety has a way of kind of flooding out of our heart while he gives us the peace that he knows that we need. God gives us peace in order to withstand storms. He gives us peace in order that we can live through the ups and the downs of life. Because the reality is we're going to face trouble. We're going to face struggle. There's some things that are coming for you. They're not going to be easy. And God wants to give you peace even in the midst of it. You've heard peace in the midst of the storm. Like God doesn't want you to live with butterflies and with this fear of what may happen tomorrow. Because the reality is we are masters of the disaster. Do you ever play the what if game? Something really small happens and you what if it all the way to Armageddon? Have you ever done that? Well, what if this happens and what if that happens and what if that happens and then bam, the world's over. I lost my house, lost my job. I sound like a country music song. So, so I, I'm the master of this. Like I, I, can, I can beat you at this game. So when I was in my early 20s, I went to, a friend of mine was having surgery. So I went to give blood. I was O positive. I'm a universal donor. So I go to give blood just in case he may need it. So when I go into the blood bank, they, the nurse kind of takes my pulse doesn't say anything, gets up and leaves, but comes back with somebody new. So the somebody new, she decides to take my pulse, whispers some things to the other nurse, somebody old, and they go back. And they come back with the supervisor. And I said, ma'am, is there a problem? And she said, hold on. And so she takes my pulse. I'm like, Can you, is something wrong? She said, Mr. Gibbs, when's the last time you went to the doctor? I was like, like six months ago? I, I, don't, I don't know, like, like what is happening? She says, well, you, you have an irregular heartbeat. I'm like, what would you suggest I do? You're the professional. She says, I would suggest you go to your doctor as fast as you can, which for me was five minutes. <laughs> now, in those five minutes, you know what I had done. In the time it took me to get from the blood bank, in five minutes to get to my doctor, I had given myself about six months to live. And obviously I was fine, but we do this. We work ourselves up in anxiety. And Jesus says, just, just ask me. This peace that passes understanding, it can't be explained. 
It can't be manufactured. You can't take a pill or get a shot or buy it at the store. It's this peace that passes understanding. It's one of the rewards that we'll get. It's peace. You know, another reward that we get is wisdom. Another reward that as you pray, God promises wisdom. In James chapter 1, it says, If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you are dumb, you are not praying enough, is what I'm saying. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Ask God. You have a decision you need to make. You have a problem you need to solve. You have a relationship you need to maneuver. Ask God. Now, a lot of God's will for our lives is found in the Bible. You know, and we just talked about that over the last few weeks. There's so much wisdom that's included in the Bible about how we're to live, and we should follow all of that. But sometimes, on a more personal note, there's a specific circumstance that happens in your life and in my life. And if I face a decision in life, I can't just turn to the concordance and say, see Stephen, page 93, and we turn to it, and this is my blueprint for my life. I have to ask God. You see, God invites us to pray because he wants to be involved in our lives and he wants to give us wisdom to help us to navigate the times, the transitions and the decisions that we have in life. We can find wisdom from God as we pray. And there's specific outcomes that that God will answer. There's peace that we can enjoy. There's wisdom that God wants to give us. Hey, the last one I want to talk about is strength. God wants to give you strength. God wants to give you strength. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. God wants to give you strength. There are times when we face circumstances and decisions and tragedies that we can't seem to find that peace we're looking for. We still have that struggle and the anxiety and the stress. We still have this level of angst that we can't seem to shake. And in those moments, what God does is God gives us strength. Because what God's doing in your life and in my life every day is he's growing us into the person he's created us to be. He's growing us up. He's maturing us. He's initiating us. He's developing us. And sometimes all we get, all we get is the strength to get to the next day. There have been times in my life when I faced tragedy, struggle, things that I didn't know how they were going to turn out. And I told God, I am all alone. You have left me. And in those moments, he gave me strength, gave me strength to keep going. And some of you today, that's what you need. You need some strength. You're, You're tired of wondering. You're tired of worrying. You just need strength to get through. And that's a reward you will get as you pray. Probably my favorite story about prayer comes from the life of a guy named George Mueller. George grew up in England and had a family, but he kind of ran away to the streets and would come back home. This was in the late, in the mid-1800s. And at the age of 14, he found himself kind of on the streets, running up and just running the streets, stealing, uh, intoxicated most of the time. His mom died when he was 14. He made it back home for a few minutes and then just went right on back out to doing the things that he was doing before that made her heartbroken. Well, as he got into his later teen years, early 20s, his dad arranged for him to go be trained to to go into the ministry because he could make a good living in the ministry, even though he didn't believe in God. And so while he was training for the ministry, George gave his life to Christ. He had this radical transformation 
And remembering his days on the street, he had this special passion for orphans. In England at the time, there was 3,000 beds for orphans in the whole country. There were twice as many kids in prison under the age of eight as there were beds for orphans. So the problem was astronomical. So by the end of George's life, George had served over 10,000 orphans and helped them get on their feet, helped them to get and be productive and have a, have a productive future. He paved the way for 10,000. By the time he died, there was over 100,000 spots for orphans all over the country of Egypt. During his time, from the time he began to start and care for orphans to the time that he died, George raised over $150 million. And that's not even the beauty of that story. He raised $150 million, cared for 10,000 orphans, and never asked anybody for a penny except for God. Any need that came up, he would find himself on his knees just asking God. Never told anybody, never let it be known. He just prayed, and he prayed in $150 million. What if your life tomorrow What if your life tomorrow is paid with your prayers from today? What if what your children become, the the future that they have, the people that they marry, what if, what if their future is paid with your prayers as a parent today? I was talking with a young mom over the week, and one of the things that she's doing, she has this Bible, and she's just going to go through and write out the prayers that she prays for her son's future spouse. Imagine the power in that especially because her son is two. Generations will be changed. Like what what about your future can be different, can be paved because of your prayers today? What about your career? Like what are the things that you're praying? Are you so short-sighted you're just praying for the next raise, the next promotion? Are you praying that God would use you to influence generations, that God would pave the way so then 10, 20, 30 years, your life would be different? What about your marriage? You know, here's the beauty of prayer. If you decided today, and here's the challenge, to pray for 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes, over the course of the year, you'd pray over 100 hours. Over the course of your lifetime, you would pray thousands of hours. And imagine what God could do to pave the way for your future, for your children, for your spouse, for your friends, for His glory. Imagine what God can do if we just decide to do that and just believe in the power of prayer. Let me pray for us. So Father, we just come and stand in the place you've given us in humility, God, but also in acceptance and forgiveness and love and strength and power adopted into your family called to live for you, to bring you glory, given a dignity of, of having work to do and being productive. God, we just stand in that and the value you've given us. Lord, we just imagine the best. Lord, we stand in the glory of who you are, a God who loves us, who doesn't come to condemn us, a God who has a plan for us, a God who has a purpose for us, a God who wants to give us the things that we love, a God who wants to just exchange his heart for our heart. You want to take away our anxieties, our insecurities, our failures, our sin, our regrets, our shame, our guilt. 
Lord, we just stand in that today, knowing that you have good for us. And Lord God, that we be a people that pray. Lord, that we would be a people that pray, that bring you glory. God, that we would see a future differently. God, that we pave the way for our kids, for our students, Lord, for our spouses, for our coworkers, God, and that you would answer mightily. God, today for somebody who's praying something specific and they're wondering, is he real? Does he care? Is he gonna answer? God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd answer that today and we get to hear the story of how wonderful you are. God, help us to be a people that care so much about others. We pray for them. And Lord, today we pray that our prayers are given for the glory of Jesus in his name and his authority and his power because that's who we pray with. In Jesus' name, amen.